chapter 8, verse 1. Hadn't the Lord been good to us? Seven of you. <clears throat> Give you a chance to redeem yourself. Hadn't the Lord been good to us? Thank you, Brother Dale, for letting us be here. We <clears throat> love Brother John Dale and his family. Precious people. Always happy or faking it. <laughs> And always makes me feel like being happy or at least feel like faking it. I love Brother Dale and love his spirit. And I appreciate this church and this flock. I love Brother James and Sister Nancy. Fifteen, eighteen years ago, we was they were a blessing to me. And I was a young preacher, young pastor. And they're precious to my heart. And... Um, Jimmy and uh, Kara, is that how you say it? And I, I, I love these, I love preachers' families and the servants of God and their families. And I could listen to that all day long. <clears throat> I just immediately grew a big happy bubble over there and then went inside of it and stayed the whole hour. Look what God has done. That's, you're not getting a tip from me until that thing. I promise you right there. I love the Corbett's and thank God for them. Romans chapter 8, and I'll read verse 1. Let's pray first. Lord Jesus, thank you for Calvary. And Lord God, thank you for mercy that the pastors mentioned. Our Father, I pray, Lord God, you'd touch and breathe on us now. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name and all the Lord's people said. This homecoming Sunday, I'm going to do this like a radio sermon. I'm going to give myself 15 minutes. And since I'm in charge of giving it to me, I may be giveth and I may be the one that taketh away. I was preaching on the radio one time, Brother Dale, and I was in a church with a long auditorium and they told me the service is live on the radio. And up in their back, hey, y'all look down here, I'm telling the story. He ain't heard me yet. <laughs> That's the guy that parked my camper. I love him. <clears throat> Do whatever you want to, sir. I was, <clears throat> they had a green light up there where the sound is. And that pastor told me, said, uh, you preach as long as that green light's on. Matter of fact, don't quit if it's on because we're live on the air going over a million people. And uh, he said, don't quit until it's red. And so I got up to preach, and I was hurrying because I only had 30 minutes for the radio. And uh, I want to get it all in. Well, as the story turned out later, the man who owned the radio station was not from there. He's a wealthy man, owned a lot of them. He was driving through the town and listening. And he called the manager at the station and said, I like that preacher. He said, don't you turn him off until he quits. <laughs> that light stayed green a long time. Can I get a witness right there? I had my orders. The manager had his orders. And me and him never did get to confer on the matter. I preached that sermon, squished it in 28 minutes. Light was still green. <laughs> stayed green. Quite a while. I couldn't quit till I come up. 
I re-preached the sermon and hit the spots that I thought maybe I was a little weak on during that. And then, then I just started in creation, went to Genesis Revelation. Then I, then I was telling things that never even happened, but I thought it'd be, it probably happened to somebody and needs to be told. And then I got over into the area of what Brother Earl Hughes said about a fellow. Said that guy's. He said he remembers things that never even happened. <laughs> Oh, mercy. Me and the little green light. <clears throat> I see a green light now, I just stop. <laughs> it's a real problem in traffic, but anyway. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Well, I need more happy bubbles than that from y'all. Who walk not after the flesh... But after the Spirit, can I get a witness right there? What a wonderful verse. I want to hit that and let it be a blessing to our heart. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that little phrase, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, that is not a condition for salvation. That's a characteristic of salvation. That phrase is repeated over and over in this chapter, Romans chapter 8, and it simply describes the behavior of saved people. They're no longer in the flesh, but they're in the Spirit. That's what verse 9 says. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God... Boy, I'm glad that's how he looks at it. Along with four of you. I'll try that again. Give you a chance to redeem yourself. Boy, I'm glad that's how he's looking at it. He don't see me in the flesh. He sees me in the Spirit. He don't see me in me. He sees me in Christ. Amen. One feller's happy about it. I guess I can preach it better and y'all might get more happy. <laughs> could be my fault. So, there is therefore now, and I had to hit that last phrase because in the South, you got a lot of people raised in religion that got confused with bad doctrine somewhere and think that you got to live right to be saved. Well, the only reason you'd ever live right is because you got saved. And even then, it ain't easy to live right. Because you can back it up, put it in reverse, and don't go far. Chapter 7 and verse... 23, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. I'm glad I... Amen. I may have to deal with some captivity, but I'll never deal with condemnation. Verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am! That's how saved people act. That's how saved people act about their sin. They, now, now, let me make a little statement. And I'm giving myself 17 minutes now. <laughs> if you're living in sin, child of God, that's a problem. I need to get a witness right here. They they jump on us bad this way. You can get once saved, always saved. Once you get saved, you can live any way you want to. Well, that's true. Once you're saved, you're always saved. And once you're saved, you can live any way you want to. There's just something about getting saved that changes your want to. Y'all got to do better than you're doing right here. Yes, indeed. 
Somebody said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and then you can do whatever you want to. Well, that's true. Boy, y'all are difficult. What am I going to do with you? I'm going to smack somebody upside the head. If you love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, then you can do whatever you want to do. You just want to do the right things. That's exactly how a child of God acts. You ought not be living in sin, but sin still living in you. Y'all got to help me a little better. I go to Atlanta and get me a black choir and get them to back me up. I believe the Corbett family could act like a black choir, don't you? I just get them back up here. If you're living in sin, you're heading for the woodshed. God don't let His youngins do that long. He don't let them do that long. But a lot of times the problem not that a Christian's living in sin, but here's the problem you're going to live with till you go to glory. Sin's living in us. And that ain't going to change until that trumpet blows on that good, glad, getting up day. And between here and glory, that, that corruptible body be changed into an incorruptible body. That mortal will take on immortality. And then, brother, will I have our vile body changed like unto His glorious body. There ain't going to be no sickness in them glorified bodies. There ain't going to be no sin in them glorified bodies. I'm looking forward to it. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. How do you get in? You get in by getting in. <laughs> Write that down. That's worth everything. You get in by getting in. You get saved. Come to the Lord Jesus. Now, some people got saved because they came to Jesus. And some people got saved because Jesus came to them. However it happened for you, just be glad that it happened. Glory to God. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And every saved person has a new direction. They're no longer living after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If I could get every child of God to get one foot on now and one foot on no, there is therefore right now absolutely no condemnation. Can I get a witness in here? I might need you on the organ, Jimmy. <laughs> there is that right now. No condemnation to them. You said, but I'm living in time. And I'm still living in flesh. And I'm still living in with the old man. Even though the new man's there, the old man is too. Well, I got good news for you right now. There's absolutely no. Some of you think you can't enjoy heaven until you get there. It's already come to you. Go ahead and enjoy it now. There's right now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'll tell you why. It was all put on Him and taken off me. Can I get a witness right there? Oh, bless His name. There's therefore now no condemnation. I'm going to say five things. See how quick I can say it. i got 16 minutes left. <laughs> Number one. The law cannot condemn me anymore because Christ has fulfilled the law. Three of you are excited about that. Number two, divine justice cannot condemn me anymore for Christ has satisfied the justice of God. Number three, thy sins, thine own sins cannot rise up and condemn thee. 
For the blood of Christ has washed them away. Number, I'm going to go back over these. Don't, don't think I'll be done when I get, I'm going to be done and then do it again. Leave me alone. Number four, thy conscience cannot condemn thee, though it often tries. For Christ hath acquitted thee and pardoned thee. Amen. Woo! The record book is clear from here to glory. And thine own conscience cannot, if thy heart condemn thee, God is greater than thine heart and knoweth all things. Amen. Number five, the adversary, our great accuser, the accuser of the brethren, cannot condemn thee, for Christ defeated him on Calvary's cross. The law can't condemn you. Justice cannot condemn you. Thy sin cannot condemn thee. Thy conscience cannot condemn thee. The adversary cannot condemn thee. And this ain't in the notes, but it's in the sermon now. And it don't matter if people condemn you. Because they don't count. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now I'll go over them five. I've got 15 minutes left. <laughs> I'm running my own stop clock. The law cannot condemn thee. Keep your Bibles open. Look for just a second. Chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. I'm going to read that again and give you a chance to say amen. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Chapter 5, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, I felt me a little happy bubble right there. I added a minute. Grace did much more abound. I'm glad where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Chapter 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Ain't you glad the law cannot rise up and slay thee never no more? They brought the little woman taken in sin, taken in adultery. John chapter 8. Love that story. There's so much sexual sin in America. Satan eats at the conscience of God's people. Most people have either been involved in it or touched by it in some way. And the devil keeps the joy gone from most people for the things that have happened in the body. But I'm glad for John chapter 8. When they took that woman taken in adultery, cast her down in the dirt in the courtyard in God's capital of Jerusalem, and they challenged this man, Jesus. Honey, if you want to get God into they're trying to get God messed up. He's trying to trip Jesus up. Don't give him a sinner. He does real good with sinners. They threw her down at the feet of Jesus. Here's what they said. Brother Corbett said, said, Now Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? Now I'm not going to start another sermon out of John 8, even though if I might, if I thought about it. What if you'd have been that little woman? And she was guilty of adultery. They'll still stone you for it in the Islamic countries. And they stoned them for it under the law of Moses. And, God, and I got bad news for them Pharisees. Their first thing they messed up was they said that was Moses' law. That wasn't Moses' law. That's God's law. 
People who judge other people also worship other people. Them boys are plugged into Moses. Not to, not to God. They love man's laws. Don't even understand God's laws. What if you'd have been that woman? I think she was naked. Some preachers have her wrapped up in a sheet trying to be modest, but I believe they took her and drug her down there and slammed her on the ground. It was the feast time. I believe, I believe the whole city was there. I don't believe she is a harlot. I don't believe she is a prostitute. I believe she is a woman everybody thought was upstanding. And she's laying there before the city. Maybe her grandmother's in the crowd worshiping up there at the temple. Maybe her mother. Shock, trauma, shame, and horror. It's what she was experiencing. And certain death, looking at her by heavy stones, crashing her skull in in just a minute. All she hears is the name Jesus. They throw her down at the feet of Jesus and they hollered at Jesus. What are you going to do with her? Here's what Moses' law said. And she's laying in the dust, fixing to go to hell, and probably, probably anxious for it to hurry up and come on so she can get out of this. Maybe in the corner of her eye. What is this Jesus going to do with this? They said, here's what Moses wrote. And I'm going to quote to you out of your King James Bible because you can't quote none of them goofy Bibles. They're supposed to be easy to read, but they're impossible to quote. And this is supposed to be hard to read, but little children that can't, can't read and old people that can't remember who they're married to can quote the Word of God. Jesus stooped down. Well, that ought to help you better than it did. I guess I'll repeat it. But Jesus stooped. He never said a word. That was his answer. He got down in the dirt with her. Oh, that ought to help help y'all a little better than it is. That was his answer. He got down in the dirt with her. Well, I guess I ought to tell you why I'm having such a happy bubble. Because that was his answer when I was presented to hell, when I was presented to the law, when I was presented to eternity, when I was presented to judgment. He got, next thing I know, he didn't say a word, but he was down in the dirt with me. And with his finger, wrote on the ground. If you've hung around church, you've heard it speculated, what did Jesus write? Really don't care. I'm just glad he's still writing. Because what had been written was a real problem. Moses in the law, and it was a written law. I'm glad the one who wrote that law was still writing. Oh, y'all got to do better than that. But of white people. I'm glad he's still writing. I'm glad the writings of God did not end with an Old Testament. Y'all got to do better than you do. I'm glad there was another testament. I'm glad there was another chapter. Malachi, the last verse, the last word in your Old Testament is curse. I'm glad he wasn't done writing. I'm glad he wasn't done with me when I was found in my sin and dumped down before God. I'm glad he's still writing. 
I'm glad there was a cross. I'm glad there was a Calvary. I'm glad there was a Savior. The law cannot condemn thee. They tell this story out of the documentaries of the history of England. I heard an Englishman preaching and Somebody said something about American history and he, he laughed and said, I didn't know you Americans had any history. <laughs> We're only that old compared to them. And in the history books of England, Sir Oliver Cromwell, back in the days when the king's word, he could chop your head off if he wanted to. That'd be a pretty good law for today if the right feller was king. <laughs> There'd be a lot of heads rolling. I'd be, I'd be voting just, I, 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 never mind, leave me alone. My world, I'll enjoy it. One of the worst things you could do in that day is be a soldier and go to sleep while it was your watch. Because armies invaded back then and they invaded in the night time and they invaded by sneaking up. One of the worst things a soldier could do on the wall was go to sleep on his watch. It was a crime punishable by death. Said a young soldier fell asleep on his watch. Sir Oliver Cromwell, I think around the year 1100, don't quote me on that unless it's right. <laughs> Didn't tell him I said it 1100. It was reported the next morning to Sir Cromwell, and here's what he said. When the six o'clock curfew bell rings, chop his head off. And every evening at six, there was a great bell in the belfry of the tower downtown. And every evening at six, strong men would go in there and pull on that great rope, and it was a great bell with a great iron ball, and it would ring that bell. This young man was engaged to be married. That evening, his head was on the chopping block. The executioner had that broad axe up in the air. Six o'clock came. He was ready to execute the sentence of death. The bell didn't ring. 601, the bell still hadn't rung. 602. They told Cromwell. He said, somebody go check. They went downtown and when they came back in a few minutes, they was carrying the young, broken, bloody body of his sweetheart. She'd climbed up and snuck past the guard. She'd climbed up in that belfry, in that tower, and wrapped her body around that iron ball. And when, and when those men began to pull at it, it smacked up against, but her body took the blows. It killed her and she fell, and that's where they gathered her up. They laid that broken, bloody body of that young woman down there and Looked at Cromwell, and the executioner still had his axe in the air. Here's what he said. Untime, let him loose, and let him go. There will be no curfew tonight. Two thousand years ago, I was laid out on the chopping block of sin, death, and hell. The Lord Jesus crawled up on Calvary's cross and put His body between me and the wrath of God. And when the fist of God, a thrice holy God, who was there to exact judgment on my sin, 
His body took every blow. Took every blow. That was meant for me. My sins, my iniquities, my transgression, my corruption, my rebellion, my disobedience. The father looked at the broken, bloody body of his son and said there will be no condemnation for those who come by here. And I'm glad to report tonight that Jesus, he ain't on the cross and he ain't in the grave. He's at the right hand of the father, but those scars, those wounds are there, that blood is there, and that body is there. And when a sinner comes crying for mercy... I like what you said about mercies. I read something the other day in a woman's Bible. I signed her Bible. She had all kind of interesting stuff in there. I held it for ten minutes. <laughs> I was reading her Bible. It said the only thing a person could ever do for mercy is to hold up both hands. <laughs> I like that. I'm sorry you didn't like it much as I did, but I liked it when I read it. The other thing she had written down there was find out what pleases God and do a whole bunch of it. I like that too. Oh, I'm so glad there's mercy. The law cannot condemn thee for Christ died in thy place. Well, I need to close it up now. Divine justice cannot condemn thee because He's paid that full price. Look in chapter 5, verse 8. But God commendeth His Love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Christ died for us. You ain't got to go to hell. He died for us. And He just didn't die for you. He died as you. His death was my death. His burial was my burial. His judgment was my judgment. His resurrection's my resurrection. You know, Brother Dale, we read often First John one nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And of course that's for Christians. And that's for fellowship. That's 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 for fellowship. And then first John two, if any man sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. And He is a propitiation for our sin. That propitiation means that the wrath and anger of God has been appeased. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I'm glad He died for everybody. Whosoever will can be if they want to be saved. I was studying that advocate one time and it blessed my heart. The Word study said this is not... When we go to our mediator, we go to our Savior. This is not love pleading with justice. But it's justice pleading with love. In other words, here's how we often think as saved people. Here's how we think of when we come and we have sinned as a saint and we come to confess it. He didn't even say to come ask for forgiveness. Chapter 2 said, ye are forgiven. This is to restore your fellowship. He'll take care of your sins. And oftentimes, stand, dear brother, I'm not going to embarrass you unless it happens by accident, and then it's just, and then you stand right up here, dear brother. 
you're going to be justice. You got the silver hair and the wire rim glasses and the stern mustache. You're going to be justice. You're going to be love, sir, because you just look like you got a lot of love. Thank you. I love you. God bless you. Justice. Yes. You're such a mean, come across so mean. Oftentimes, when Christians go to confess their sins and, and try to get their heart right with God, we come to Jesus and we, and we plead with our Savior to intercede to our Father and we think that it's love pleading with justice. In other words, a loving Savior pleading to holy justice to please be merciful. But after what He did on the cross, when you go to the... It's the other way around. It's Jesus who is the just one and has justly paid for all your sins. It's justice who's coming to say, this is honorable, this is fair, this is true, this is on the record. And it's justice pleading with love. And God is love and He's the one that gave His Son to die in our place Oh, how much easier that is to know that justice is pleading with love. Amen. You ain't got to plead with love long. And a lot of it, something's wrong with us independent Baptists. We tell the whole world God loves them and we think God can't stand us. <laughs> Hello? Amen. You've seen that through the years and through the meetings, Brother Corbett. We tell all these messed up people and sinners and heathen and, and everybody else that God loves you. And then we turn around and tell the saved independent Baptist, God don't even like none of us. <laughs> Goofy outfit. When you come to the Lord, He's already paid your due price and it's justice approaching love and saying, I've already taken care of this. Will you, will you take care of them? And love don't have to be pleaded with for long. Can I get a witness right there? Glory to God. Divine justice cannot condemn thee. I'm going to close now. My green light's turned to red. Thy sins cannot condemn thee. Isn't that wonderful? Right, let me show you the Scriptures. Chapter 6, verse 22. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God. Well, isn't that good? Look in chapter 6, verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. <laughs> And you can read them verses, being dead there means you came to Calvary and entered into the death of the cross. He that is dead is free from sin. Thine own sins cannot condemn thee. Thy conscience cannot condemn thee. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 8, verse 15. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I'm glad the adversary, the adversary cannot condemn us, though he tries. He's been dealt with. Chapter 8, verse 31. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justified. It is Christ that died. If God be for us, who then can be against us? I'm glad that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Well, you know to a preacher this is just a tease. 
That was all introduction. <laughs> I got a whole sermon on my heart I want to preach somewhere. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that there's now no condemnation. I'll tell this story and I'll be done. And I want to want to pray and see if you need some help. Several years ago, my tent meeting down in Florida, there's a young woman sitting in the back, red-headed girl. She got out of prison. She'd been the leader of a gang, violent gang, in the Jacksonville area. They went from Jacksonville to Tallahassee running drugs. This girl was 21, red-headed. She'd already done time. I think she'd been involved in drive-bys. She'd been involved in, been responsible for people dying and people being diseased and people being drugged. She's a rough girl. That pastor had been working on her six months and got her and her friends to come to that tent meeting. They sat there Monday and Tuesday, Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. The old girl squalled the whole time. Boy, ain't it good when the Holy Ghost's presence is strong. She squalled the whole time. Wednesday night, that preacher, they didn't come to our tent meeting. They went to their little church and had their Wednesday night service. And he said that girl's name was Gretchen. She got on the altar that night. Laid <laughs> on that altar. And she went to screaming. I can't get these sins off me. Screaming. I can't get these sins off me. That pastor stepped over there and he said the altar was full. And she looked up at him and she said, Preacher, can you help me? I can't get these sins off me. He looked at her and he said, No, ma'am, I cannot help you. He's one of my preachers I ordained. I was proud that I trained him right. He said, I've done for you all I can do for you the last six months. I've done my part. And we have a part to do. He said, I can't help you now. I can't do anything about your sins. <laughs> she said, what am I going to do? He said, oh, there's, some, there's help for you. Just thank me. He said, you need to holler for Jesus. She looked up at him and said, Preacher! I can't get these sins off of me. He said, you just tell Jesus. Don't you love people that don't know anything about church and how they act in church? She just looked right past him. Jesus! I can't get these sins off me. She hollered at about two or three times. And here's what the young preacher said. said, she went from screaming to shouting. If you don't know the difference, then... You might need to cut. It's a difference between heaven and hell. They scream in hell, but they shout in heaven. You scream over your sins, but you shout over the blood. You was talking about the harbor, the Baltimore harbor. When you was telling that, Sister Nancy, I was looking at that cross. I guess I'll tell one more story and then I'll be done. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to go eat right there. Me and Brother James are going first if God will help us anyway. We're big, but we ain't stupid. We're getting over there. <laughs> I was in South Carolina preaching, and the pastor is a young man. He had a he had a high-paying job. Of course, I was trying to talk him out of it right on into the ministry. But 
He worked in about five states. He was over some hospitals. And his boss came the Tuesday night. And this young preacher was so excited. The man was from Baltimore. And he was a Roman Catholic. It was his first time in a Baptist church. He was big-eyed when he came in. He was scared of us. He ought to be. I grew up in this and I'm scared of it half the time. <laughs> Brother Dale, first time. And they had a young family with about 11 kids. A little house on the prairie situation. I mean, that, that woman believed having youngins. And they all sang, and it was sweet, and we all got to crying and snotting and shouting. And me and the preacher, we kept peeking at the Baltimore boss. <laughs> he was a multi-millionaire running the eastern side of the nation, something to do with the hospitals. And he, if big eyes can get bigger. <laughs> when he came in, I had a cross like that up on the church, and he asked, he asked the pastor who was his employee. He said, uh, he was a real nice man. We're praying for him still. He said, Why isn't Jesus on the cross? That's what he said. Why, why isn't Jesus on the cross? He said, In all of our Catholic services, he's, he's on the cross. And the pastor answered him, And boy, the simple truths are the best. said, He's not on the cross because he's not on the cross. He was on the cross, but He's not anymore. And He was in that tomb, but He's not anymore. Somebody said the empty tomb is the only place in the world where more people in the world go to see nothing than anywhere in the world. They go there knowing there's going to be nothing to see. And they look in that tomb and knowing there's nothing. And they go to see it. I turned my green light back on in case y'all was wondering right there. It's like flickering back and forth. Can't decide. Don't care what y'all want to do. I'm preaching right there. But I am getting hungry, and that's good for you. I'm glad he's not on the cross. And I'll tell you what else ain't there. My sins ain't there. Amen. My Savior's not in that tomb, and neither are my sins there. He's in glory! But my sins ain't. That blood's over there on that mercy seat. And somewhere in there, my sins have been dissolved and done away with. And there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I want you to bow your heads.